Good morning. We're glad that you're here. One of y'all's keys. Anybody? Just going to set them here. If anyone left the keys on the uh, podium, there they are. Um, thank you guys for leading worship so well on a holiday week where it'd be easy to kind of just do a bunch of songs we know and to do them the way we know them, to have a set that's different. It's not easy to plan songs like that and to, to write arrangements like that. And so I just really appreciate their wholeheartedness uh, in worship leadership. So if you are listening to this online and you missed it, you missed the banjo. So take that. I mean, you missed the preached word and everything else, but you missed the banjo. So um, we're going to be in Hebrews 11. Go ahead and turn there. Um, and as you turn there, go ahead and stand up and y'all greet each other, say hello. If someone is actually visiting on this holiday week, we want to make sure that you feel very welcome. So y'all stand up, get up, and greet. All right. Go ahead and make your way back to your seats. We really do count it a privilege to worship together. We, we believe that each week when we gather at this time that we actually hear from the Lord uh, through the scriptures, through prayer, and that the Lord actually hears our praises. Um, he hears our prayers. And so there's this amazing interaction that goes on between us and the Lord when we gather together like this. And so when we say it's a privilege, we mean it. It is a privilege to gather together. So let's pray and we'll jump into our text. Lord, we come to you this morning uh, humbly. Uh, we come before you this morning uh, eager for you to be glorified in our time together. Lord, as we do almost every Sunday, we want to pray uh, for the other local churches that are gathering. I'm praying in general that they are enjoying you, that they are humbly submitting to your word, that they are gathering in a way that, that's not divisive, but that is, is really aiming to to preserve the unity that we have been given in Christ as a gift. Lord, we also uh, want to pray specifically for, uh, for Ridgecrest, just for Matt Beasley, the pastor over there. Pray for his family, that he is enjoying time uh, with his bride and with his family, and that he is leading out of the overflow of that, and that they are enjoying you this morning. We pray for uh, our local government, that uh, they would lead in a way that is, um, that is good and that's pleasing to you even knowing there is a wide array of, of opinions on how that plays out. Lord, I'm thankful that you're God who's over those things and that we can trust you with those details. Lord, as we engage a very difficult text this morning, my prayer is that you would speak as you see fit, that you would tune our hearts and our minds and our eyes and our ears in to what you want us to see from this text. I have trusted you in the preparation of this, and I trust you in the delivery of this, and uh, I am thankful for how you tested Abraham and how I believe it will test us this morning. Uh, we love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're continuing our faith photograph series. We've been doing this for, I think, I don't know, six, seven weeks at this point. Um, they're all online, so if you haven't been here, you can jump in and see any of them, but they're individual snapshots that we're looking at of those who we're faithful and lived and died before us. We're encountering something new, though, this morning. Consider that we're, you know, consider you're like in some big castle and you're moving through some big hallway, and the hallway is lined with photographs the, or paintings, and that, that's kind of what we're doing. We're kind of strolling through and we're looking up and considering these photographs of faith 
We're moving through this hall of faith, considering those who have lived and died faithfully before us. And what we're looking at today is someone that we've already considered. And that's why this is a little bit new today. This thing is booming, feeding back, and I know it's not in my head. Or it's in everyone's head. So, um, we have not done this before in our Faith Photograph series. We have not yet encountered someone who we have already encountered before. For the first time, we'll be seeing a picture of someone that we've already seen. So, this person has two photographs in the Hall of Faith, which is significant because this Hall of Faith is sort of these who are, were great in their walk with the Lord, and to have two photographs in this hall is significant. But in this picture, he has his son with him. So look at Hebrews 11, and our main text for the morning will be verses 17 through 19. And we are seeing Abraham again. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Our goal this morning is to look specifically at what Abraham did by faith, and then consider toward the end how we might follow Abraham in a like manner. And I want you to know up front, this is a very sober and a very serious sermon. Um, there's not a lot of room for, for humor there's not a lot of room for lightheartedness. What we're engaging this morning is one of our greatest patriarchs of faith facing his greatest trial ever. And it's, it's a massive moment in history. And so I want, you to kind of, I want to tell you that up front so you can kind of settle in and say, okay, let's, let's take this seriously. Let's consider the, the bigness of this text and what it, what it means for God's glory and what it means for our obedience. So the first part of this text is that Abraham, part of Abraham's faith was to be tested. Part of Abraham's faith was to be tested. Now, we already know that Abraham has left his homeland by faith. He's conquered nations in faith. By faith, God is making Abraham's name great so that he will be a blessing to other people. And in fact, we're going to go to Genesis 22 here in a minute, but Genesis 21 that leads up to this moment and this big trial, he's actually finally at a point of kind of taking a breather. He's taking a rest. And so that's our context, that he left his homeland, he's moving forward, he is conquering nations, he's had a meeting in a valley with some kings, God is making his name great. He went from everything he knew to, to complete uncertainty, all he had was what God said, and he's moving forward, and in chapter 21 of Genesis, he actually is sitting back and he plants a tree. And that's a significant moment because you don't, you don't plant trees unless you're wanting to see that tree kind of grow up and, and bloom. And so he's in a, in a figurative sense, in a literal sense, he's putting down roots, and he plants this tamarisk tree, and he's in a moment of resting, and he's watching Isaac grow up. So last week, what we saw was that he and Sarah, by faith, received a son, and not just any son. Genesis 17, 16, um, God says to Abraham, I will bless her, Sarah, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. So what we need to make sure that we are clear on 
is the significance of what it means to offer up such a son. So go ahead and turn to Genesis 22. Hebrews 11, um, 17 through 19, is, is citing verses from Genesis 22. So to really understand context and what's being said, we, we need to go ahead and go directly to that chapter. We're going to look first at just the first two verses. Genesis 22. He's just planted a tree, and in the previous verse says, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. Still a sojourner, still in exile on earth. We're still moving toward a homeland, but there is a season of rest here that is met by a massive trial. And in Genesis 21, verse 1, it says, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here am I. So this wasn't some like doom and gloom moment. There was, there was a moment where he was resting. It was a moment where he's sitting and he's enjoying and God says, Abraham. And like he has said many times before in other tests, he says, here am I. He said, take your son. And at that moment, you could almost look at, consider Abraham looking across the yard and seeing his son Isaac. He's already sent Ishmael off, so he's He's, he's centered on Isaac, and it is through Isaac that we have all these promises for blessings. And so when God says, Abraham, he says, here am I. Take your son. And he looks over and says, yeah, my boy. It's like when you hear someone say the name of your kid. And it's like, like if someone comes up and says, hey, I want to say something about Ellen. I'll kind of look at him and be like, yeah, there she is, a little cute blonde-headed little gal. You know, it's kind of there's a proud moment as a parent. So when he says, take your son, and then he says, your only son, Isaac. Yes, he is my only son. Whom you love. Yes, I do love him. And go to the land of Moriah. Yes, a trip with my son. We will go. And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. That is, that is a turn. That is, this is a difficult text. The first thing I want us to see is not only was Abraham tested, but that this was a test from the get-go. It's really important as we climb into this text to know that this was a test from the get-go. There, there wasn't a time where God actually wanted this to happen to Isaac. What I mean is that one of the benefits that we have as we read through Scripture is to sometimes be able to see the intention or the intentions of God in an event where the main character at the time, Abraham, cannot himself see what God's intentions are. He just hears the command of God and he's to move forward. But we can see things a little differently, especially on this side of the cross. There's a, there's a ton that we know that even those who are walking through this don't know. And what we know up front is that this was a test. Knowing that it's a test up front will help us to wade through the baggage of what he's being called to do. Because to be clear, he's being called to offer up his son as a sacrifice, which means he will kill him and he will set him on fire like any other sacrifice. That's what the call is this morning. So for us, it's really helpful to know up front that it's a test because in our culture, the call to sacrifice a child doesn't really make any sense. We call that abuse. We call that murder. We call that unnecessary. But this was a test up front. So I'm thankful that up front we can see that this was a test, a very, very, very difficult test for Abraham. So by faith, Abraham was tested. That's the first thing. The second thing is that by faith, Abraham offered up Isaac, look at Genesis 22, verse 3, 3 and 4. So he just heard this from God in verse 3. 
So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. It may not jump off the page at you, but that should blow your mind. What if God came to you with such a test? Would there be any, but God, but, 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 but God, whoa, whoa, what? Um, he's the child of the promise. He, he's the one who all the nations will be blessed through. This doesn't make sense. This doesn't add up. He doesn't do that. I, it blows my mind. The first time I read through this, I was like, what did God just tell him to do? How terribly difficult would that be as a parent? And then in the next verse, so Abraham rose early in the morning. At the very least, I would have slept in. Probably knowing my tendencies, I would have put it off for as many days as possible. You know what? Maybe that was just bad gas, and I'll wait and see if I hear from the Lord again, something a little clearer, because that is crazy. But that's not what he did. He rose early the next morning. At this point, he was what, what some commentators call sort of a, a, a cheek. He was, he, he, had, he was a man of, of, of renown. He was known. Um, but he, he took on the form of a servant. He went and chopped up wood. And he rose early, and he, and he saddled the donkey, and they went together first thing the next morning. There's no delayed obedience here. Notice the immediate and the quiet obedience of Abraham. God himself didn't even put a timeline on the command. God didn't say, go do this tomorrow morning. He told him what he needed to do, and what Abraham did is he got up the next morning, and he went and did it. Abraham rose early the next morning and moved forward in obedience. So, Let's just dive in and take in the rest of this crazy story. I'm going to read the rest of the chapter, starting in verse 5. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? How many of you would have absolutely fallen apart at that moment? Never mind, turn around, we're going home. Oh my goodness. Father, where's the lamb for the burnt offering? I know what we're doing. We've done this before, Father. We've gone to worship together, Father. But but we're missing a, a key ingredient here. And look at what he says to his son. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Next week, we'll be talking about Isaac's faith, but no, at this point, Abraham's an old geezer, and Isaac's a, a fit young man, so there's a bit of, like, he could have resisted his father if he wanted to. So we see even here some, some faith on behalf of Isaac to say, okay, God um, is having my dad bind me up and put me on this altar. He bound his son, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand, and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham! 
And he said, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, as the sand that is on the seashore. And your enemies and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. What a remarkable story. Turn back to Hebrews 11. So that's where our main story comes from. So when we read in Hebrews 11, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up his son Isaac. What I want us to see first is that to be clear, because of his faith, Abraham was tested, and because of his faith, by his faith, Abraham offered up Isaac. And next it says in verses 17 through 18, it says, by faith when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He was tested because of his faith, he offered up his son. What I want us to see here about Abraham's faith is that Abraham's faith finds its strength in God's promises. Do you see what he said? He said, he said he considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead. God's made a promise. God's not going to go back on his promise. So what we see about Abraham is that he was tested and it's with his faith. What we see is that he offered up his son, and then we see that he finds his faith finds its strength in God's promises. Last week, we considered how it's biblically wise for us to identify areas of faithlessness in our lives, for us to identify areas of unbelief, of struggle, of concern, of anxiety, of doubt, of faithlessness. And what we're called to do in this hall of faith is to take those areas where we're not moving in faith, where we're struggling with unbelief, and what we do is we match those up with God's promises. Abraham's faith finds its strength in God's promises. So that cry, I believe God, help my unbelief, is the cry of one who is looking for help not trying to legitimize their unbelief. It's a cry of one looking for, their, for help with their unbelief. And that help for Abraham was found in the promises of God. The promises of God should be cherished by the people of God as Abraham models. And this is where we run into one of the biggest predicaments found in our Bibles. It's certainly the biggest trial for Abraham, but it may be one of the biggest predicaments we find in our Bibles. This is where we run into something that just seems like a brick wall. It seems like it doesn't add up. And what I mean is this. For Abraham, the promises of God are that Isaac will be made into nations, that Christ will come to earth that through the lineage of Isaac, that the manner through which God will keep the earth from being completely cut off from him is through Isaac. But the command of God to Abraham was to cut off Isaac. You see what's happening here? You don't wound sacrifices. You kill them. So this predicament is monumental. And what I want us to see this morning is Abraham holding in one hand 
the promises, and in the other hand, the commands. And at this moment, it just doesn't seem like they go together. It just doesn't seem like the Adam. He's holding God's promises here, and then this command that was just given, and he's saying, I don't know how these go together. But he's moving forward. So, by almost all accounts, these don't line up. And I want to read an excerpt from A.W. Pink explaining this trial. He says, Having observed the time when Abraham was tested, let us consider the severity of his trial. And the first act itself, Abraham was ordered to slay not all of his bullocks and herds, but a human being. This was not normal. Ordered to slay, by the, word of, by the mouth of God, a human being. And that not of one of his faithful servants, but his beloved son. Abraham was bidden not to banish him from home or send him out of Canaan, but to cut him off out of the land of the living. He was commanded to do a thing for which no reason could be assigned save the authority of God who gave the command. He was bidden to do that which was most abhorrent to natural feeling. Who would gladly do such a thing as a parent? He must not only consent to the death of his dear Isaac, but himself be his executioner. He was to slay one who was guilty of no crime, but who, according to the divine record, was an unusually dutiful, loving, and obedient child. Was ever such a demand made on a human creature before or since? He seemed to be called to destroy and cut off his own family. He seemed to be called to destroy the truth, to cancel the promises of God, to prevent the coming of Christ, to sacrifice his own soul and his hope of salvation, to cut off the church of God at one blow, a most terrible trial. If Isaac were slain, then all seemed to be lost. I want y'all to feel the weight of this trial because it's oftentimes in situations like this where an individual holding the promises of God in one hand and the commands of God in the other will choose to let loose of either one or both when they don't seem to add up. I want you all to consider yourselves, like as I'm saying this. Oftentimes when someone finds the promises of God here, the commands of God here, and they don't seem to add up, what they will do is they will say, I think I'm going to drop the command and just be disobedient. Like, how could I do that? Like, I know it says I'm supposed to do this thing, but how could I do this thing? And so they open up this hand, and they drop the command. Or worse, they'll open up this hand and drop the promises. They'll say, God has given me these promises, but then I have this command, and it doesn't seem to add up. It seems to go against it. So you know what? And you drop the promises, which nullifies the command altogether, and that's often when people walk away from the Lord, when people walk away from what they called faith. There's such an encouragement in Hebrews to persevere to the end, persevere to the end. The true saint presses on and perseveres to the end. And what we're seeing here is that as oftentimes when they're holding the promises and the commands, if they don't make sense, they'll drop one or both and either just be disobedient in the, in the thing itself or they'll walk away from the faith altogether. But man, just, it's too much. It doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. And that is a tragic moment to drop one or both of the commands and the promises. So what does one do? What does one do in such a predicament? What did Abraham do in the predicament? Look at Hebrews eleven nineteen. He, Abraham, considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. 
what Abraham just said here, what he just exemplified here, is amazing in the way of big, huge faith that is obedient in all circumstances. What do we do in that predicament where the promises seem to be nullified by some command that I just got, and it doesn't add up? If I do this, I might lose this. What do we do in that predicament? Well, when faced with a situation where God's commands seem to, predict, to contradict his promises, you move forward with the commands and you keep clinging to his promises. That's a massive point. If you write down one thing in your notes this morning, let it be that when you face a predicament, a situation where God's commands seem to contradict his promises, Abraham moved forward with the commands and kept clinging to the promises. Don't let go of either of them. Don't let loose of either of them. To me, this is the clearest definition of what it means to persevere till the end. I will, by faith, whether it makes sense in my head or not, hold both the promises and the commands firmly, and I will move forward in faithful obedience, even if it doesn't make sense at first. Abraham, in doing this, by his faith, he's saying something very bold. What he's saying is this. He's saying, by the written law, this is murder. Like, it doesn't make sense in our context. Guess what? It didn't really make sense in his either. The law says, you do that, you're a murderer, and murderers are punished in a terrible way. And so what he's doing is he's looking at this, he's hearing the word of the Lord, he's seeing the promises of God, and what he is saying boldly is, by written law, this is murder, but God is not bound by law. The way that God could put this command on his life is that God is not bound by law. He is sovereign over and above the law. He's the giver of the law. Abraham boldly says, by nature, Isaac will be dead. But what he's saying by his faith is that God is not bound by nature. In terms of culture, people will see me as a murderer, but God is not bound by culture. In terms of common sense, I'll be viewed as a fool who gave up my greatest blessing. But God is not bound by common sense and sight. So Abraham is literally holding the knife to his son and saying, in this moment, his son is laying on the altar, looking up at his dad, and he's got the knife. And Abraham is saying, there is no possible way that God's commands will ever undo his promises. Ever. As he's over his son, there's no possible way that God's commands will ever undo his promises. So if I follow through with this command... God will inevitably conquer my son's death. God will inevitably bring my son back to life so that God will fulfill the promises that he has made concerning my son. His faith is that massive. I don't know if there's anyone in this room that's like, yeah, that's probably what I'd do. Yeah, I mean, that'd be a hard day, but I'd do that. God's promises and God's power are so big. He's saying, if I do this, I'm being obedient. And if I'm obedient, you, I want everyone to be sure God will bring him back from the dead and fulfill the promises that he's made concerning my son. That's the only thing that makes sense because God's that powerful and his promises are that sure. The last thing I want us to consider about Abraham this morning before we look at some application points is that Abraham, by faith, did what Brad explained a couple weeks ago, go until God says stay. That means that Abraham went, he left his homeland, and then he went with his son to Moriah, and he put his son on the altar. He kept going until at that moment of deep faith where God counted 
what he was doing is true and righteous. He said, just like you were as good as dead, at that moment his son was as good as dead because he was so faithful in his movement. And he goes and he goes and he goes until he hears the words, Abraham, Abraham, stop. Don't touch that. That was the moment where he stayed. That was the moment where he stopped and he said, yes, Lord, what is it? He, by faith, Abraham exemplified what he exemplified in his first faith photograph that he, he went and he went and he went until God said, okay, stop right there. And then by faith, he wrestled the lamb from the thicket and he worshiped with his son. By faith, he went into that thicket. I don't know if you've ever wrestled livestock. Generally, they're a lot stronger than you would assume. And he went over by its horns, took it, wrestled it out of the thicket by faith and worshiped with his son. So I want us to consider, we've seen these things about Abraham. By faith, he was tested. By faith, he offered up his son. By faith, he, he went forward until God said to stop. By faith, he believed God's promises even when it didn't make sense with the commands. By faith, he held all of them tightly. And by faith, he wrestled the lamb from the thicket and worshiped with his son. So what can we take from this as worshipers who are called? We're, we're in this hall of faith to see what we're supposed to do. We're learning in this hall of faith. So this isn't like, look at Abraham, the exception to the rule. No, it's look at Abraham, the model of the rule, the model of faithfulness. Be like that guy. Move in the manner that he moved. Trust the promises and be obedient to the commands like he did. So a few application points. The first one is this. And I, I don't think any of these application points are light. I actually think all of these are terribly challenging, and it terrifies me to have to stand here today and deliver them from this pulpit. Because the first one is that God expects submission and loyalty. It's not easy. God expects submission and loyalty. God lays claim to every part of your life. The whole purpose of this test was to see if Abraham valued Isaac more than he valued God. Remember, God said, Abraham's the one who first brought up a son, remember? It was his dream. God said, I'm going to bless you abundantly. I'll make nations from you. And Abraham says, God, I don't even have a son. So in his heart, in his mind, even though he was old, he's like, man, I don't even have a son. I'd love to have a son. And this test was to see if Abraham valued Isaac more than God. One commentator states, the Lord is determined to make it manifest that he has on earth a people who will forsake any comfort and endure any misery rather than forego their plain duty. Who love him better than their own lives and who are prepared to trust him in the dark. I don't know what this means for you personally. But I would offer a few considerations. What do you value more? God or your standard of living? What do you value more? God or that which is familiar? God or comfort? God or safety? God or good health? Is there anything that you would rather hold on to than obey God? In a country that's changing a lot, that exists in a world that is groaning, it's difficult but it's necessary to consider ahead of time what limits you have, if any, on obedience. 
when it comes to obedience to doing what this says, to persevering to the end, is there any part of it where you say, you know what, I'll go this far, but I'm not going to go any further. God, feel free to call me here, but if you call me here, I, I might just opt out. I might either open this hand and drop the command or open this hand and drop the promise. And what I want you to do is we're in this hall of faith together is consider what are your limits on obedience? At what point you say, I'll, I won't go any further than this, God. You're asking too much of me. Because rest assured, God expects submission and loyalty. What is it that would cause you to open your hand and drop his commandments or worse, his promises? That's the first application point. The second application point is when you remove the limits of God's power, you will remove the limits to your obedience. When you take the limit in your head that exists on how powerful God actually is or what God can actually do, you are also going to remove the limit that exists in your obedience. Call to remembrance what God said in last week's text. Is there anything too hard for God? Are you taking any risks for the gospel? Rest assured, there are some who are taking great risks. There are some affiliated with this church that are taking significant risks for the forward movement of God in his kingdom. Are you taking any risks for the gospel? Or to consider it another way, is there anything that you're pursuing for the glory of God where you really feel like you need his power? Like, God, I will move forward in what you're calling me to, but I so desperately need your power. Where you feel needy, where the thing you're doing is so big, where you're like, I I know I can't do this on my own strength. Or are you leaning on your own understanding and strength? Abraham was almost arrogant in his certainty of God's promises. He said to the guys that went with him on the journey, he said, me and the boy, we're going to go. And guess what? Me and the boy, we're going to come back. I mean, he's like, he's at this moment, he's so sure of God's promise. We're going to go, we're going to come back. Isaac looks at his father says, Dad, where's the lamb? And he looks at his son and says, boy, God will provide the sacrifice. I mean, he is certain. He is sure because he's leaning on God's strength and not his own. He considered that God would do the impossible if it was necessary. He considered that God would, would go above the laws of nature if it was necessary to keep his promises. That God would raise the dead. So in as far as you limit God's power, you'll limit your obedience. If you think that God really doesn't do big things, if you think that God really can't do big things, if you think that God really won't do big things, you're likely to walk around with just real small faith that doesn't take any risk, that plays it as safe as possible, that holds your cards real close. And as far as you limit God's power, you'll limit obedience. But I have seen it in the lives of some great people of faith. And as far as you remove the limits of God's power, you'll remove the limits of your obedience. Why does this matter? Why does this matter? We all know in large part, at least we think, what the week holds, Right? Tomorrow, we've got to go back to work. Everyone's going to be dragging because it's the end of a holiday. And Monday's going to be a typical Monday, but probably a little worse. And then we're going to go and keep doing our work. And then we've got soccer practice on this day. You think you know what the week holds, but you don't know what the week holds. God calls us to hard things. So to be blunt, I think that God is calling people in this room and people listening online to do hard things. And I don't think that you can do them if you lose sight of God's power. 
I think we're called to do some difficult things in the coming days, and I do not think that any of us can muster it if we lose sight of God's power, his unlimited power. I think that some in this room might be called to foster and or adopt some orphans when it really doesn't make sense to your family dynamic. I think that's real. We experienced it. My wife and I sat at the Hilton Harbor. Henry had just finished his last can of formula. Praise ye the Lord. And we're sitting there and we're talking about because we talked about adoption. We said, man, um, you know what? I don't think it's a good time to even consider that. I mean, our family's just kind of, it doesn't make any sense, you know? I mean, we just finished this. He'll be out of diapers at some point. You know, this is a good time to not add a member to the family. And within the week, we took custody of a little girl named Hattie. It does, it does, it's not going to make sense. So I, I actually think that God will continue to call people in this room because true faith is caring for orphans and widows and their affliction, according to our scriptures. That's a big part of our faith. And so I think God's going to call you to do hard things. God may call you as well to, to care for a widow, and it may mean your money. It may mean your time. It may mean your effort. It may mean some time away from your own family. And you're called to do that in a way where you don't neglect your family, but you also don't neglect the, the widow. I think that some in this room and some listening online will be called to be a part of a church plant within the next year. And right now, it's probably unsavory to you. I don't want to leave. I love this. This is great. Well, go until he says stay. So for some of you, you're called to stay. But I think some in this room are going to be called to go, and I don't think you'll be able to do it if you lose sight of God's power. I think that some in this room might be called to move to the far corners, particularly Teopisca, Mexico. I'm not a prophet. Don't worry, I'm not a prophet. But I think that some in this room or some listening may be called to move to the far corners, particularly Teopisco. I think that some in this room might be called to push into territory that's dark and uncertain, knowing that God has a plan to bring redemption and healing to those who are there. And it will cost you, it will be difficult. If you're not okay with your faith costing something, you don't understand faith. I think that some in this room and some listening will be called to stand firm in the truth even when it costs you greatly. It may be at work. It may be at family gatherings. Know that your obedience will only be great if you see clearly that nothing is too hard for God. The last application point that I want us to consider is what we will consider as we go into our supper this morning. We take the supper every week, and it's this. By faith, wrestle the lamb from the thicket that God has provided. That was Abraham's faith. So much of Hebrews is about Christ as high priest and bringing that to bear on all of life. Bringing Christ to bear as high priest on a Tuesday is difficult, but wrestle the lamb from the thicket. Take the time to wrestle the lamb from the thicket. Applying the gospel in a disciplined way in your home is difficult, but wrestle the lamb from the thicket. Gathering your family regularly to engage the word and prayer is difficult, but it is worthwhile. You need to wrestle the lamb from the thicket. What I'm getting at is that God didn't send an angel with a lamb on a leash, like a little golden leash, said, here you go, guys. Here you go. 
He had to look up, and it was caught by its horns in a thicket, probably a little bit difficult of a thing to maneuver to get him out. And sometimes it's difficult for us as heads of household, um, particularly as fathers, to wrestle and say, okay, I'm going to put the lamb in front of my family no matter how hard it is, even though the last five Bible studies have felt like total flops and my son won't quit making jokes about gas and things like that. I'm going to wrestle the lamb. I'm going to put it in front of my family, and we're going to enjoy the lamb together, even when it's difficult, even if we have to miss a practice, even if we have to move our schedule. Monday didn't work okay. Well, we're going to do it on Tuesday then. But wrestle the lamb from the thicket, because God did not send an angel with a lamb on a gold leash to easily deliver to Abraham and Isaac. Wrestle the lamb from the thicket. Turn to Genesis 22. The angel said in verse 12, 22-12, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went, he took the ram, he offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his Son, So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. And it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. I want us to know that the Lord has provided abundantly for us. I want you to climb into this text. I want you to consider as worshipers what it must have felt like when Abraham heard the voice of the Lord. When Abraham was over his son with a knife and ready, willing, fully committed to doing what God called him to when he heard the voice of the Lord, how sweet that must have been. I want you to consider the deep trust that was fostered between a father and a son as they offered up that which God had provided, the joy and relief of hearing the angel's voice and looking up and saying, look at what is in the thicket. Look at that. That is a lamb. Son, I told you God would provide. And you go and you get it. You gather it up and you worship together. Think about the, the excitement, the encouragement, the building up of faith, the trust of God, the steadfastness that that trial moved in, in both of their lives, the endurance that they would have and the trials to come, the relief of seeing the Lamb. Consider the deep trust that must have been fostered as they worshiped together. Consider how tall they must have walked back together. God is so good. Son, we serve a God that is above and beyond any other God that has ever claimed anything as they walk back to the group. Hey, guys, remember when I told you that me and my boy were going to go worship, me and my boy were going to come back? Here we are because our God provides the lamb. This is what Christ is for us and more. Remember we said at the beginning that this was a test, that it was never actually necessary for Isaac to die. Part of the reason for that is that that's reserved for Christ. God is the one who sent his son to die in our place. The lamb provided by God as a sacrifice so that you could move in massive obedience That didn't happen so that you could dabble in faith. It happened so that you could look at any circumstance, any scenario, and say, what is God calling me to do? What are his promises? No matter what, I can move forward in that because his promises are sure. So as we take the supper, we're partaking of the Lamb of God that was provided as a sacrifice in our place. So like Abraham and like Isaac, let us marvel. Let us be humbled 
Think of yourself like Isaac climbing off the altar. Your dad undoing the ropes. <laughs> Give me your son. As we take this supper, that, that's what Christ is the sacrifice in our place. We deserve death. We deserve God's wrath. Romans 1 says the wrath of God is towards unrighteousness because unrighteousness suppresses the truth. We together are unrighteous and the wages of sin is death. And before we partake of the supper, we're climbing down off that altar and saying, free these ropes, take these off. Let's go get that lamb and let's enjoy together. That's the imagery I want you to have in your head as we partake of this supper. Let us marvel. Let us be humbled. Let us be encouraged toward obedience and worship. Let's pray. Lord, in, in this text that we have engaged this morning, I am thankful for Abraham's massive faith. Thankful for Isaac's faith, which we'll talk about more next week. I'm thankful to know that the tests that we go through are not without reason. But I'm thankful that you are the one who provides. I'm thankful that even if Abraham's faith was greater than anyone who ever walked the earth potentially, even if his faith was that big, it still wasn't enough. There was still something that Abraham needed outside of what he could do even in faith. And so, Lord, our faith is a dependent faith. And as we distribute the elements this morning, Lord, my prayer is that you would help each of us to just imagine climbing down off of the altar, to imagine seeing that what we deserve is, is death and there is one who died in our place so that we can have life and have it to the full, which means that we can move faithfully in any obedience that you call us to, certain that your promises will not fail, certain that we'll not be separated from you, certain that you are for us and not against us. Lord, you are great. You are greatly to be praised. You prove it again and again and again. We humbly submit to you this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It's interesting in the story of Abraham and, and in the story of you know, the Gospels, you, as you get into the Gospels and John, that there's a thread of, of anticipating a lamb. You know, Abraham, when his son asked, Dad, where's, where's the lamb? He said, God will provide the lamb. There was an anticipation there. And in John 1.29, it says the next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what our Lamb does. Our Lamb takes away the sin of the world. That's what is represented by this. That he takes away your sin. And he was anticipated then. And we, we anticipate him now. Jesus Christ will come back. There are many who claim to be Christians that are losing sight of the reality, the unshakable reality, the certain promise that Jesus Christ will return and make a new heavens and a new earth. That's what it means to be people who are moving toward a new homeland, a better homeland. That's, that's how we're allowed to hold loosely to the things of this earth and to proclaim faith and to walk in it even if it means our lives. Some of the promises of God are, are a bit ominous, like when they drag you before the authorities, do not worry, God will give you the words to say, they can kill you, but they can't harm a hair on your head if you have any. They can't harm a hair on your head. Because even in death, we're victorious. Christ conquered death. 
Fear is very real. Weekly, this is the thing that helps us to fight against those fears. The fears of being rejected, the fears of being made fun of, the fears of being killed. There's a, lo- a big spectrum there of things that can happen as you move forward in faith. But the promises of God and these eternal realities that we have and anticipating that Jesus will come back. King Jesus will rule the new heavens and a new earth. And it will be wonderful beyond our comprehension right now. So we anticipate Christ with those who anticipated him before. And we look to him as the lamb who provides what even in our greatest day of faith, what we could not provide for ourselves. In light of that, take and eat. Take and drink. Lord, as we continue in worship, I pray for wholeheartedness that clings to the commands and clings to the promises and looks to you for provision. You are great. We are humble servants of yours. Help us to be wholehearted with every word and with every action as an act of worship. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all make that a priority. It's going to be a sweet, uh, sweet time. I wanted to share just in closing that my prayer last night as I went to bed and my prayer first thing this morning as I woke up is that people would be convicted to move in obedience. I have no idea what exactly that means in your life, but I want to encourage you. It is, I don't know if ever it happens in isolation. If you're sitting there in isolation thinking, man, I feel God call me to do this and I just don't know, I want to encourage you. One, if, you're in, if you don't have a church home and you're interested in learning more about that or you want to join this church or you want to get information on how to find a good church home for yourself, please let us know. There's people standing around. Grab someone next to you. I'll hang out up here afterwards because it is, this is a group effort. What we talked about this morning is way too complex, way too difficult to move in isolation as sort of a lone ranger mentality. So being members of one another is huge, and, and we hold um, that in very high view in light of what God calls us to in faith. Um, the other part of that is um, we have small groups each week. We don't think it's enough just to come here and just hear something, but our, our goal and our hope is that, you, that we'd be hearers of the word and doers. And so we have these small groups that meet at different places each week so that y'all can sit and talk through, how do we actually apply this to life? What does this mean for us this week? What does this mean for us this year? What does this mean as far as moving forward in something that, that maybe I'm fearful of or I'm uncertain of, but, but I know God's promises and I know God's commands on my life. And so I want to encourage you towards um, making sure you have a church home and towards once you do, if, if that's here, getting involved in a small group because those are two huge ways in which we, we do life together, we live life together. So I'd like to just pray over y'all as you leave. So y'all stand and I will pray. Lord, we come to you now and I just pray that as this group of believers leaves here, that we would do so in a way where our aim is to put your glory on display and where our aim is to walk in bold obedience and that the source of that would not be our own strength or our own ability, but we would know that it comes from knowing the promises of a God who is limitless in power. Thank you for being mightier than we can understand. I pray that you would go with everyone today and bless them as they go. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all have a great day.